Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. Harvest Lakeshore is a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing the word with us today. I want to encourage you, if you, when you came in today, if you did not pick up uh, a couple of these inserts, I would invite you to pick them up at least on your way out today. Uh, one in particular, uh, it's just the white one. Uh, Sarah has provided this for us of kind of just some background information on uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be studying through that over the course of the next few months, and uh, we don't want to make Sunday mornings a history lesson, but yet we want to give you some background information. So pick up a copy of this, um, read over it, uh, maybe um, kind of stick it in your Bible in the book of Ephesians, maybe you'll have opportunity over the course of this study to read through Ephesians a few times. Uh, this would be some great background information to help you with that, so make sure you pick up with that, and I think these are going to be pretty much available every week. Just grab one on your way in. They're out on the table in the, in the foyer, so grab that, and then we'll also have um, just an, an outline, uh, something for you to follow along with on each Sunday with each message, uh, so pick one of those up as well, and uh, hopefully those will be uh, just uh, resources, tools um, that you can use to be of benefit and uh, be of, of help to you as we uh, work our way through this study together. Well, several years ago, I had the opportunity to um, uh, go down to uh, Notre Dame University and attend a football game between uh, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the uh, Wolverines of uh, University of Michigan. And it was just a, a gorgeous day. I mean, it was one of those Saturdays in the fall where the weather was stunning, and it was just a perfect day for football. So we got down there a little bit early and found a place to park, and parking lots were full, filled with cars and trucks and filled with people, uh, filled with lots of people that were tailgate partying and all that kind of stuff. And we made our way over to the campus, and the campus was just, um, just, just excited, full of energy, all that stuff, so much going on, this big day, big game between you know, the, the two teams are going to be playing against each other. And it was just sort of an amazing event. It was just sort of an amazing environment to be a part of that day. And uh, one of the traditions they have down at Notre Dame is that uh, many of the people don't go into the stadium until it's like just slightly before the game, and they follow the band into the stadium. So that even though we weren't students uh, and we weren't from Notre Dame in, in that sense of the word, we thought, well, let's just kind of do that today. So instead of finding our seats ahead of time, we'll just wait for the band to go in, and we'll just sort of follow behind the band and go into the stadium, just sort of, sort of get into the mood of things, sort of get into the swing of things, the whole game. And so eventually the band came marching across the campus, and people kind of got in behind them, and we all made, made our way into the stadium. And by the time we got into the stadium, I mean, there's, there's like about uh, almost 80,000 people in the stadium. 
And so we got into the stadium, and the, the two teams came running out on the field, and they did the national anthem. And at the end of the national anthem, there were a couple of two, three fighter jets that flew over the stadium. And it was just sort of an exciting afternoon, just, a, just, a, just kind of a, a, a perfect day for football. And perhaps one of the best parts of the whole afternoon is that the outcome of the game wasn't decided until the final two minutes of the game. And so whether you were a Wolverine fan or whether you were a Fighting Irish fan, I mean, you were in the game because nobody knew until the very end of the game who was going to win the game. Now, unfortunately, not everyone went home pleased with the final score uh, because at the end of the day, one team won and one team did not win. But uh, whether your team won or lost, the fans in the stadium that day had a great afternoon for celebrating football, a great afternoon for celebrating the weather, celebrating the competition, celebrating the school spirit, uh, just kind of celebrating the bands and just the joy of the game. But once the game was over, it was back to reality. And so by the time we got to back from South Bend, it was Saturday evening, and you know, I pull in the driveway Saturday evening and it dawns on me, you know, I need to preach tomorrow morning. So it's suddenly back to reality. No longer the fun of the game, it's back to the reality of work and all that kind of stuff. And I would imagine that other people, when they got home that day, uh, maybe some went home to some kind of difficult family situations. Uh, maybe some went home to some uh, kind of difficult health situations or maybe difficult job situations or, or maybe just difficult financial situations, whatever it might be. I was thinking of all the, the students that were in the stands that day. And perhaps some of them, when they got back to their dormitory or got back to their apartment or whatever, they suddenly realized, you know, I have a paper that's due on Monday, or I have an exam that I've got to take on Tuesday. So again, it was sort of back to the reality of life, and sometimes the realities of life are difficult. So though the game that afternoon provided us with ample reason for celebration, once it was over, the realities of life, they don't always give us cause for celebration. Well, in the study that we began last week, the study of Ephesians, we are learning in this opening chapter that there is something that does give us cause for celebration, something that gives us cause for celebration no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the realities of life might be, something that we can rejoice over. We began to discover from Ephesians chapter 1 that salvation is the greatest reason for our celebration. Salvation in Christ is our greatest reason for celebration. Look at your Bibles with me at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul sort of begins this letter after two verses of introduction. He begins in verse 3 by simply saying this, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So three times in this sort of opening verse of Ephesians chapter 1, three times in this verse, he uses the word bless. And as we mentioned last week, the word bless uh, communicates the idea of to appreciate or to commend or to praise or to honor. We get our English word eulogy from this Greek word in the New Testament. And when somebody gets, gives a eulogy, they're praising someone, they're commending someone, they're giving words of appreciation about someone. So when Paul used this word three times in verse 3, his original readers would have understood that what he was about to describe to them was God's undeserved honor given to us, as well as our greatest reason 
to express our praise and honor to him for all he's given to us. And that's exactly what he describes beginning in verse 4 and following. He describes God's undeserved honor given to us and therefore our greatest reason to express our praise and our honor back to him. He talks in verses 4 to 14 about our salvation. He gives us truths about our salvation. He talks about our greatest reason for celebration. And that's what we want to focus on today. Now, last week, we looked at verses 3 to 6, and we talked about the very first component of our salvation, the first component that we should rejoice over, and that is divine election. Not an easy thing to understand, not an easy thing to put our arms around, but nonetheless, divine election teaches us that it's all about God the Father's pre-temporal, sovereign act of electing who will be saved. That's the first component of our salvation. Now, today as we open God's Word, we're going to be looking at a second component of our salvation, that being redemption through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in the verses that Rebecca just read a few moments ago that as believers, we should celebrate our salvation because we are redeemed. We are redeemed by Christ. We should find great joy, great rejoicing in the truth that in this present age, we can be delivered. We can be freed from our sin, freed from enslavement to sin. We can be freed from that based upon Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And so this morning, as we spend a few minutes together looking at verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, we're going to discover some truths about our redemption. We're going to discover some truths about redemption through Jesus Christ. And the passage begins by teaching us that our redemption comes through the death of Jesus Christ. It comes through the death of Jesus Christ. In verse 7, we read, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Not through our efforts, not through our good works, not through our positive personalities or uh, our positive outlook on life. No, our deliverance from sin has resulted directly from Jesus Christ shedding His blood, dying on the cross for us. Now, that word redemption is probably not a word that you and I typically use in our normal everyday conversation. But that was not true back in the first century Roman Empire when Paul wrote this letter. The word redemption was actually a word that was very common to be used. It was a word that people would have understood readily because they used it on a regular basis. We're told that in the Roman Empire of the first century, there were as many as six million people that were slaves. And the buying and selling of them was actually a very large component of the Roman economy. And if you had a person, if you had a friend or a loved one that was a slave, and you wanted to purchase that person's freedom, then what you would do is you would pay the price for that person, grant that person their freedom, and then testify to that deliverance by a written certificate of redemption, an actual document that spoke of their being purchased, spoke of their being freed from enslavement, spoke about their redemption. So redemption was the term used to designate the freeing of a slave in this way by the purchasing of their freedom. And the New Testament idea of redemption isn't far from that. In fact, it's very similar to that. 
Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood paid the price to buy, to redeem for himself those whom God the Father had elected to salvation. And he frees them, frees them up from their slavery to sin. That's the idea behind redemption. You know, whenever I think of the term redemption or think about the concept of redemption, I'm already, always reminded of, a, of, of an individual from um, kind of from my past. Um, the first 10 years of, uh, of the time that we were in ministry, I pastored a church just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And there was a, a gentleman in our church, his name was Martin Fano. You wouldn't know Martin, you wouldn't know anything about Martin, but if you knew Martin, you'd know that Martin was probably uh, one of the most immoral people that ever uh, grew up in northeastern Ohio. I mean, Martin was a gang member. He was a very, very violent man. He was uh, a part of organized crime, not in the sense of the mafia or the Cosa Nostra, but just in terms of local organized crime, drug, drug dealing, prostitution, all of that, he was a part of that. I remember one day asking Martin, I, I looked at him, and I, I had noticed over time that he had some little bumps across his forehead. And I asked him one day, I said, Martin, what, what are those little bumps? And he smiled, and he looked at me and said, those are bullet fragments. And I said, wow, I, you know, I don't have many friends that have bullet fragments in their heads. But Martin had bullet fragments in his head. He was, a, he was a drug addict, he was a drunkard, he had a criminal record. He was kind of a poster boy for everything uh, wrong with growing up in the inner city of, of Cleveland. I mean, he was a guy that was what you and I would call totally enslaved to sin until one day. One day, God got a hold of Martin's life. Martin realized that he was a sinner. I mean, I think he, he clearly understood that he was a sinner, but he really realized that he needed to be rescued. And Martin came to the place in his life where he recognized that, that Jesus Christ had paid the price for his rescue, had paid the price for his redemption through his shed blood. And so there came a day in Martin's life when he repented of his sin. He turned to Christ. He was redeemed by Christ. He was set free by Christ. And what a change in Martin's life. Addictions were broken. He became faithful to his wife and to his family. He actually started his own business started earning a living legally. Um, he, was, he, was, he was passionate about sharing Christ, particularly with individuals that, whose lives he'd been a part of before he had come to Christ. So when I think about redemption, I think about Martin Fano. And even though you and I may not be sort of the extreme that Martin Fano was, the fact is any repentant sinner who puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ, his or her trust in Jesus Christ as Redeemer, will be set free from sin slavery, will be set free from sin's guilt, will be set free from sin's penalty. Paul writes about this in even more detail in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, he writes this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Really, in a nutshell, those two verses really do communicate the, the biblical idea behind redemption. It's what redemption's all about. The debt of our sin was paid in full through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were freed from our slavery to sin. And we now have a new master, 
We have a new Lord. We have a new King of King and Lord of Lords over our lives. We are now slaves of righteousness. And I think what Paul wants to point out in this text is that is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to rejoice. That's part of that blessed be God the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So let's commend him for that. Let's admire him for that. Let's praise him for that. Let's rejoice and celebrate over that. The fact that our redemption comes through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, in this text, that's not the only thing that Paul teaches us about redemption. Because he goes on in the balance of verse 7 down through verse 10 to tell us that our redemption gives us two specific reasons for rejoicing. Now, I recognize that there are additional reasons for rejoicing in regard to redemption, but here in this passage, he points out two of them. He tells us that our our deliverance from slavery to sin that takes place at the very moment that we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, gives us two reasons to celebrate, two reasons to rejoice. Here's the first one, the first reason, complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Look at verse 7 again. Paul writes, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, the word forgiveness, it literally means to send away. It means to release. It can, be, it can mean to cancel a debt or to grant a pardon. And what Paul's telling us here is that through the shedding of his own blood, Jesus Christ actually took our sins upon himself. He carried them away an infinite distance. He released us from them. He sent them away. He canceled our debt. He granted us a pardon, and they can never return. David writes in Psalm 103 and verse 12 that we are separated as far as the east is from the west when it comes to our sins. I mean, that's an infinite distance. As far as the east, ongoing, 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 from the west, ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. That's what Jesus has done for us. We have complete forgiveness. And in this text, Paul tells us a few things about that complete forgiveness. He tells us first that that forgiveness actually comes through God's rich grace. In other words, it doesn't come through our good works, doesn't come through our, again, anything righteous that we could be or could do. No, it comes through God's rich grace. Look again at verse 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, the riches of his grace. So like all Christ's other attributes, all God's other attributes, God's grace, his, um, his undeserved kindness is boundless. Just like God is boundless or, or uh, without boundary in terms of his love and boundless in terms of his wisdom and boundless in terms of all of his attributes, he is boundless in terms of his grace. And so what Paul is telling us here is that in line with that boundless grace, God has provided us with boundless forgiveness. Our forgiveness is in accordance with the riches of his grace. In other words, it's not a limited grace. It's not sort of a short-term grace. It's not a here today and gone tomorrow kind of grace. It is a boundless, rich, unlimited 
unbounded kind of grace. A number of years ago, and uh, some of you will be able to relate to this, and many of you will not be able to relate to this, but back when I was in like high school and college, there were no such things as credit cards. Um, you just didn't have credit cards. Nobody had credit cards. It was just an unheard of thing. Um, and uh, so when you would go to buy something at a local store, you would pay cash for the item or the items that you were going to buy. And I can remember a few times going into a store, maybe it was like a grocery store or maybe a hardware store, and maybe I needed to pick up a half a dozen different items at the store. And so I would go through the store, pick up the items I need, and I would go up to the, the counter. And again, this was before they had little scanners or anything, so they'd actually have to ring up the items that you purchased. And after they'd get done ringing them up, the, the person at the register would say, well, that'll be $57. And I would take my wallet out of my back pocket, and I'd open up, and I'd say, oh, I only have $52. And so there was a problem, right? Didn't have credit cards, so I only had $52. That's all I could spend. And so I would ask the, the person at the, at the register, well, is there some item here that we could take away that could get us down to, to $52? And, and the, the man or the woman would look at things and say, well, this item here is $6. If you put this one back on the shelf, that'll bring things down to $51, and you can afford it. And so we would put that item away, and I would purchase the other items that I had wanted to take home with me. So I would come up a little bit short. I wouldn't have quite enough to purchase everything that I wanted to purchase. Well, you know, that is never true when it comes to our sins. Uh, Christ never comes and takes out his wallet and just kind of opens it up and says, oh, wow, your sins are going to take $57 to cover them completely, but I only have $52. So I guess there's just a few of your sins we're not going to be able to cover today. You know, maybe we'll catch up next week. Maybe we'll room for that some other time. That's never true. It's never, God's riches of his grace are never limited to a certain number of dollars or a certain amount. It is, the un, it is the boundless riches of his grace. He never comes up short. So he tells us that this forgiveness comes through the riches of God's grace. He also tells us that God's forgiving grace completely covers us. It completely covers us. Look at verse 8. It's according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That word lavished means nothing held back. It means no restrictions. It means unlimited. It means that it completely covers us. It means that we never have to worry that somehow our sin will outstrip God's gracious forgiveness. Let me try to illustrate that. Again, this may be a poor illustration, but I'll give it to you, and you can take it for what it's worth. Um, uh, I, I like breakfast, okay? And I realize that some people don't like breakfast. Some people just have a, maybe a quick cup of coffee for breakfast or maybe don't do anything for breakfast. But I've always kind of been a breakfast person. And uh, one of the things I really enjoy eating at breakfast is I love English muffins, all right? I just love English muffins. And so we, we always have English muffins. And it's pretty common on any given morning. It was true this morning for me as part of breakfast to have an English muffin. And uh, so if you know anything about English muffins is that they are full of little nooks and little crannies, right? So it's kind of like when it pops out of the toaster and you're getting ready to put on it whatever you're going to put on it, and I kind of like to put butter on it. I mean, you could just lavish that butter on it, right? Because there's so many little nooks and so many little crannies, so many little spaces for the butter to go in that it seems like you just keep putting butter on that thing and more butter on that thing and more butter on that thing, and it's like it, it never gets done. That's the idea of lavish, you know? It's like our sins are all the nooks and crannies. 
And it's not like God has just a, a little bit of butter, just a little dinky slab of butter, and it just covers a little bit of the muffin. No, he lavishes his grace on us. It covers all the nooks. It covers all the spaces. It covers all the sins. It covers all of the crannies. It covers everything. He lavishes it upon us. Nothing is held back. No restrictions. Unlimited. Completely covers us. We never need to worry that somehow some nook or cranny of our life that is in sin will somehow be, be separated or, or apart from the lavish riches of his grace that he pours out upon us. Now, just think about that for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning as, as a young adult, and uh, you're thinking that, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you've made some choices in your life, some decisions in your life that uh, uh, were immoral. You know they're not pleasing to God. Maybe just some bad choices, right? Maybe you've wasted a few years of your life. And you're here this morning, you say, you know, I really want to come back to God. I really want to turn to God. But if God knew all the nooks and crannies of sin in my life, uh, you know, I, I don't think he'd have enough forgiveness. I think he'd come up a little bit short. So we sort of hold God at, a, at an arm's length, at a distance from us, because we thought if he knew everything about us, you know, he wouldn't have enough grace to forgive us. Well, this passage teaches us something very, very different than that. This passage gives us the truth that trusting Christ as our Redeemer brings freedom from our slavery to sin, to all sin. It provides us with complete forgiveness, a forgiveness that is measured out according to the vast and incomprehensible riches of His grace. And He smothers us in that grace. He separates our sin, as we said a moment ago, as far as the east is from the west. The Bible tells us that He throws it into the deepest part of the ocean. And Paul is trying to remind us here that that is something worth celebrating, something worth rejoicing over, something to recognize as a blessing that comes from God the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Or maybe you're here this morning and uh, you've been um, kind of cutting a few corners at work, uh, maybe cheating some customers, maybe ripping off an employer, maybe misrepresenting a product or a service. Maybe at work you've been compromising your ethical edge. Maybe you've been doing some things that you know are wrong, and yet you just kind of keep doing the wrong. You've just kind of gotten into a habit of doing it. Maybe you've gotten involved in, in a relationship at work that you know could destroy your marriage. And again, you want to turn back to God. You want to come back to Him, but you wonder, is His grace sufficient? Is it enough? Will it cover all these nooks and crannies of my work life that are filled with so many things that are displeasing to him? And so again, we sort of hold God off at, a, at an arm's like that, a distance, because we're afraid that if he got close enough, he'd come up a little bit short. But the truth is, again, through faith in Christ's redemption, freedom is ours. Forgiveness is ours. A forgiveness that is in keeping with the immense and incomprehensible riches of his grace that he wants to lavish on us. That is worth rejoicing over. That is worth celebrating over. That is worth praising him for and adoring him for. So one of the reasons that we can celebrate our redemption is that through Jesus Christ's shed blood, we have been provided with complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. But there's a second reason that Paul gives us to celebrate our redemption. And that is that he has given us an ultimate goal. Given us an ultimate goal. Look at verse 8. Paul continues, In all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So redemption through Jesus Christ provides those who are in Christ with a knowledge, with an awareness of God's ultimate goal. A couple of things Paul points out here. Number one, he tells us that God's ultimate goal is not known by everyone. It is not known by all. You notice in verse 8, he refers to it as a mystery. He says, in all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. And the word mystery here has the idea of, of not being fully revealed. So through the gracious gift of redemption, God's wisdom and God's insight have been given to those who are in Christ so that it has been revealed to them, and they now understand the mystery of God's will. They understand that all of this, as Paul says, is according to God's purposes. All of this is set forth in Christ. All of this is part of God's plan for the fullness of times. So someone that's outside of Christ, they don't fully understand what is this goal. They don't fully understand what is this ultimate goal. But if we're in Christ, we do understand what is that goal. And what is that goal? Well, Paul tells us that God's ultimate goal is to make Jesus Christ Lord of all. To make Jesus Christ Lord of all. God's ultimate purpose, we're given it at the end of verse 10, is to unite all things. And that phrase has the idea of gathering together to unite all things together, all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So what Paul is telling us here as he's talking about redemption is that there is a day coming when everyone and everything will be gathered together and acknowledging Jesus Christ for who he is, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, as King of kings, Lord of lords, as sovereign, as ruler, as director. In fact, Paul writes about this in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Paul tells us that there's a time coming when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all to the glory of God the Father. Now, folks, we recognize that during this present age, that there are some who do recognize Christ's lordship, do recognize his leadership, do recognize his his rulership and directorship over their lives. But there are many that don't. There are many that are still living under their own autonomy, living under their own self-rule, their own autonomy versus Christ's authority over their life. But as Paul writes in Ephesians 1.10, in the fullness of times, everything will be brought under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate goal of God's plan of salvation. This is the ultimate goal of redemptive history. That ultimate goal is to unite all things together in Christ, all things in heaven and all things on earth. You know, in Paul's day, in the first century Roman Empire, they had a little Latin phrase for this, this idea of of highest goal. 
It was simply the phrase summum bonum, summum bonum. It referred to highest good or ultimate goal. And what Paul is describing to us here in this text is that God's summum bonum is the uniting of all things in Christ. It is the recognition of, it is the restoration of, it is the establishment of Jesus Christ's leadership and lordship and rulership over all, over all. That's the goal of history. That's the goal of redemption. The goal of all of it is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes this in even greater detail over in the book of Colossians. So you can keep your finger in the book of Ephesians and turn past Ephesians, past Philippians, over to Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul talks about this in even more detail. He says this about Christ in Colossians 1, 15. He says, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in Christ, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? Why all of this history lesson? Why all of this information about Christ? Why? That in everything, he, Christ, might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the whole goal of redemptive history, the whole goal of the redemption that Paul is describing in Ephesians 1 verses 7 to 10 is this everything, that in everything Jesus Christ might be preeminent, that he might be recognized as Lord of lords and King of kings. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and for me? What does that mean in kind of our everyday lives? Well, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about uh, those of you that are here today as parents, uh, particularly if you, if you have uh, younger children, and those kids are, are, still, are still at home, still kind of living under the roof. Um, it, is a, it is a busy time for you, right? I mean, there's work, there's home, um, there's uh, uh, you know, the house to take care of. There's, there's family. It, it seems like there's always something to be cleaned, you know, something to be, uh, you know, some shopping to be done, some meal to prepare, laundry to do. Um, and then there's the kids, right? And it seems like, you know, one kid has to be at soccer practice at this hour, and another kid has to be at trumpet lessons at that hour. And then the third child has to be at ballet at a different time. And that's just Monday night. Tuesday night are parent-teacher conferences. Wednesday night is small group. Thursday night, we can't even remember what's going on Thursday night or Friday night, but there's some things going on. There's probably a bunch of stuff going on, those things. And as parents, you feel like you wear a hundred different hats. You feel like you're pulled in a hundred different directions. And sometimes I think, I can remember when our kids were little, you almost feel like a, a, the hamster in the cage and you had the little wheel and you'd be in the wheel and you'd be running, 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 but you keep thinking, I'm not getting anywhere, you know? I'm just going, 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 running all over, but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. So if you're a young parent, let me ask you this question. Who's setting your agenda? 
Who's setting your agenda? Think about that for a moment. Um, shouldn't be the kids. Shouldn't be the school. Shouldn't be work. Shouldn't be even your spouse. It needs to be Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the goal of your redemption. That's the goal of redemption, redemptive history. That's where everything's headed to. He is to be Lord over your schedule each day, the director of your life, the director of your marriage, the director of your family. He's to set the agenda. He's to establish the priorities. And Paul's trying to tell us here in this text that there is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater joy than letting Jesus Christ be Lord. So what is your summum bonum? What is your highest goal? What is the agenda for your life? And, and folks, I'm not here this morning to look around and say, well, this is what it ought to be for you, and this is what it ought to be for you, and this is what it ought to be for you. I realize that that'll play out differently in every different family. But the truth is, as parents, especially young families, we need to sit down sometimes and say, let's look at the rat race. Let's look at the chaos. Let's look at the busyness. Let's look at the hectic pace that we're going through. And what, is it, what would it look like? What does it look like for Jesus Christ to be Lord over all these things? Folks, if we are in Christ, therefore in community, if we are a redeemed family that loves God and loves others, the reason we love God and love others is because we've been redeemed. And as a redeemed people, the overarching goal of our life is to be Jesus Christ being Lord of all. So what does that look like in our household? It doesn't mean the kids don't do things. Doesn't mean they don't go to school. Doesn't mean we don't have work. Doesn't mean we don't have all those things of life. But if we could just step back for a moment as young families and say, what would we do different? How would we maybe tweak some things, adjust some things, change maybe our approach, change an attitude, change a, 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 a schedule a little bit? Because, hey, the whole reason we're redeemed is to have a new goal. And that goal, that highest goal, is Jesus Christ being Lord of all. Maybe you're not a young family. Maybe you're a little older. Maybe you're retired like me. Or maybe you're nearing retirement age and uh, the kids are grown, the kids are gone. Um, maybe some of the kids have gotten married. Maybe some grandkids have come along. And you sort of look back over your life and you see um, a lot of cheers and a few tears, right? Just kind of the way, way life is put together, right? It's kind of a mixture of those sort of things. And you look back and then you look ahead and you ask yourself, you know, what's my purpose going forward? You know, they tell us that, that life expectancy for the average person in the United States, whether you be a male or a female, is around 78, 79 years of age, right? But if you make it to my age, if you make it to 66, the average life expectancy actually extends out to your late 80s. So I'm looking in the mirror this morning thinking, I got 22 years left maybe 25 years left. I mean, I can't guarantee that, right? I could be run over by a truck this afternoon, but if I follow averages, I got a whole lot of my life left over. So there's a lot to think about. God's got an agenda for my life like he's got an agenda for your life. He's got a summum bonum that he wants you to keep at the forefront, and it's making Jesus Christ Lord of all. So though we may retire from a career, we may step back from a job, we may scale things back a little bit, maybe go into semi-retirement, whatever it might be. There is no retirement from this. There is no quit on this. I may retire at 55 or 57 or 62 or 65 or 70 or whatever it may be, but there's no retirement from this. This is why I was redeemed. 
This is the goal of redemptive history. It's all moving to the fullness of times when all things would be united in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth, that he is preeminent over every single thing. No retirement from that. So here in this passage, Paul is trying to share with us some important truths about our redemption. He tells us that our redemption comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He tells us that our redemption gives us two reasons for rejoicing. The first is complete forgiveness, a forgiveness that comes through God's rich grace that he lavishes upon us. The second reason is we're given an ultimate goal. Those outside of Christ, they don't understand this. They don't understand what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But if we are in Christ and we are in this community, if we are a redeemed family who wants to love God and love others, then God's ultimate goal for our life and for our church, our identity, is making Jesus Christ Lord of all. Lord of all. Folks, ultimately, that's, that's God's goal. That's his purpose in election. That's his purpose in redemption. That's the whole purpose for being in Christ with our sins forgiven. And it is to be our greatest joy. It is to be our greatest blessing. It is to be our greatest reason for celebration in Christ, redeemed, purchased, forgiven, given a goal, set free, no longer slave to sin, but slave to righteousness, new master, new Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for these important truths about, about salvation these important truths about our redemption. Father, we thank you for Paul taking the time to, to remind us of these things today and to remind us of the fact that we are to, we are to live with, with joyful hearts and rejoicing hearts because we have been blessed by God the Father with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, Lord, might as we, we think about this today, might we, might we, have, might we have attitudes of thanksgiving and attitudes of, of gratitude for all that you've provided us with. And Father, if there would be anyone here today that has never surrendered to Jesus Christ as the rescuer, as their rescuer, and as the Lord, as the leader of their life, might this day be that day? Lord, might they turn to maybe the person that they came with this morning and say, hey, you know, I don't, I don't get this redemption thing, or I've never, never taken that step in my life. And I need to do that today. And Lord, for those of us that, that have put our faith in Christ, Lord, life is hectic. It is crazy. Sometimes it's hard to find purpose and direction, and we just are pulled in so many different, uh, different directions. But Lord, might we always come back to the wonder of our salvation, the wonder of our forgiveness. Lord, just the wonder of being given a goal in life, that our goal from, from the moment we trusted Christ till the moment we cross over into eternity is the preeminence of Jesus Christ to love God and love others. Father, we thank you that you have given us a, a means to remember that. Lord, you've given us a means to celebrate that and commemorate that. Lord, we call that communion. We thank you, Father, that today we get to, we get to take communion together. We take it because we are in Christ. We take it because we are in community. We take it because we are a redeemed family. So, Father, as, as Wes and the worship team, as they lead us in that today, Lord, again, fill our hearts with gratitude. 
Fill us in this season of Advent with the wonder of Jesus Christ, why he came to go to the cross to be our Savior, to purchase our, our forgiveness, Lord. And might we rejoice today in our salvation. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. If you have found this content helpful, consider sharing the episode with friends or leave us a rating and review. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. You are loved.